All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Independence Day. Hope you thoroughly celebrated and exercised your freedoms today. Um, this morning we'll be in Nehemiah chapters 5 and 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Kids Camp deadline has passed for registration, but of course we're taking in some stragglers right now. So if you, uh, if you know for sure your kids want to be involved, please get that in today. This is really, we, we really need to get that list together so we can get it over to Moera, so we can get our food ordered and so we get counselors and cabins set up. So um, we'll take them still. Obviously, we're, we're really hard-nosed, hopefully that'll get everybody in. And then we have some stragglers that, that are left over. So um, we'll still take them. Um, but this will really have to be the last Sunday. We can't wait much longer, and then we'll have to close the registration for that. Um, children's ministry uh, conference slash dinner uh, this Friday at 6 p.m. If you haven't signed up so that we know that you're coming, please do so. The sign-up sheet's in the back um, so that we know how many tables to set up and the, how much food to order and so on. So anyway, that's this Friday at 6 p.m. if you're a, a teacher in this or in the children's ministry at all. All right, Nehemiah 5, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Um, this is a special day for us as Americans and uh, the country that you founded and birthed uh, under your protection and your eye and your guidance. And uh, we still acknowledge that and understand that and give you honor and uh, all glory um, for the freedom and the liberty that we have um, in this place that you brought us and, and raised us and birthed us in. And so thank you for that. As we go through this next two chapters, Lord, we pray that you'd show us your heart as you have spoken to Nehemiah to be a leader and a blessing to the people, and uh, what a great example he is to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah deals with oppression today in chapter 5. Uh, 6 is the result of him dealing with that oppression, and it's, uh, those go hand in hand. The oppressors don't like to be spotlighted. Um, they don't like to be called out for what they do. And when they do, there is consequences for that. Um, they retaliate here. With this group of people that Nehemiah is ministering to, and that is why he went, he is there for the people, not for himself. And he'll explain that here in these two chapters. In this group of people that have already been there with Ezra and Zerubbabel, he comes in as an unknown, but as a governor, a leader, someone who's going to get the job done. But many of these people have already made agreements with the people around them, the other nations around them. They've given their uh, wives or their daughters over to their sons, and their sons they brought into their family and so on. And so there's a, there's a bond there that took place before Nehemiah showed up. And of course, Nehemiah is very much a nationalist and understands that I'm only concerned uh, for the nation of Israel and their well-being and the well-being of this city, Jerusalem. Um, and sometimes his... Uh, zeal and his desire to be that uh, patriotic and to be a blessing as, as a called man of God will go against what's happened already before he got there. These arrangements that have been made with these other countries, they're going to have to be broken. Um, they, weren't, they weren't forged in honesty. They weren't forged in truth uh, or for the well-being of the nation. And so they have to be broken. And this is going to offend a lot of people, but that's okay. Nehemiah is not there to make friends, as, we'll, as we've seen so far. Um, he's there to do what God's called him to do. And that's what we're here to do as a nation uh, and as a church. Um, our country, I think 
Um, one of the things we need to understand, I don't want to do a big Independence Day teaching because I want to get through these two chapters. They're, they're, they really, they're really going to be more beneficial than if I just talked about the Declaration of Independence or something all day long. Um, our country is a fruit of Christianity. It's a fruit of following Jesus. And um, so we could talk about the fruit, but we really need to talk about the source, and that's far more important. If you think of our country as a, a young believer, instead of just a nation or a group of people, um, you can see where it, this person of the United States has made a declaration that they're going to be independent from this world. They're going to do what God's called them to do. They're going to change. And as a new believer, they brought a lot of baggage with them as we've been seeing our nation work out over the last couple hundred years or so. And some of the things were spotlighted. We had a sense that those things were wrong in our gut. But we never could put a face to it. I don't know why I feel uncomfortable with this, that, or the other thing, but I know that it needs to change. And God, through his Holy Spirit, working through men and women who love him, well, we got a lot of things accomplished, and a lot of the, a lot of the sin that we brought with us was removed as a nation, and that's a good thing. And we're still doing that. We're still working that out. And so the short of it is, and I don't want to spend any more time on it, is that as believers in our country— the more our country feeds the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, in its life, the stronger it will be and the healthier it will be. The, the more we remove God from our life and from uh, our focus, the more fleshy and the more worldly we will get. And you can see that struggle plain as day, every day, as we watch the news or as you encounter people throughout your week. So it's up to us as Christians. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church, he resides in us. And if we're not actively doing what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do and being that restraining force in our country, we will succumb to the flesh and the flesh will win. And so be encouraged in that in our Independence Day here as we celebrate everything that it stands for and what started. Remember the birth. Remember the time when Declaration of the Independence was proclaimed. And that everything was supposed to change and be different and be free and full of liberty. But walking in that liberty and truth, not to sin, but to be obedient to God in that liberty. The freedom to do so. And the more we do so, the more we impact our country as a whole, our body as a whole, this nation as a whole. And we change from the inside out as every new believer does. It's a wonderful picture for us. Nehemiah is dealing with oppression. But it's not from where you think. Usually the oppression comes from the outside. I'm oppressed, you know. But the oppression that he's talking about is from his own brethren within his own country. His countrymen, the rich, the wealthy, the, um, the powerful, have oppressed the poor, taken advantage of, not just done what people who have their lives together do, there's nothing wrong with loaning out money. There's nothing wrong with any of these things that they've done. It's the usury. It's the interest. It's the taking advantage of them. It's basically, uh, they're one of those car title loan places. You're the one in trouble, not me. If you want to come to me, it's 400% interest annually. That's robbery. Take it or leave it. And that was what they were doing, basically charging usury. And so Nehemiah finds out about this through the cries of the oppressed. He says this, and there's a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish, their Jewish brethren. 
For there were those who said, we, our sons, our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. We don't need food. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So through no fault of their own, they found themselves in dire straits and have gone ahead and mortgaged things, given up their possessions. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our, on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And Nehemiah says, and I became very angry when I heard the outcry or their outcry and these words. And after serious thought... Please underline that. I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, and I want to stop there for a minute. Nehemiah is correct in being very angry, but I love how he doesn't react. He takes the time. I'm angry, but I'm not exactly sure what to do about it or why even, for that matter. Something's amiss. And so through very serious thought, and it doesn't say prayer, to be honest with you, because it's already been written down. Sometimes we'll know in our lives, something doesn't sit right with me. I don't know what it is, but something doesn't sit right. And if you search the scriptures, you'll find that God's already written this down. This is inappropriate. We're not supposed to be doing this. They're not supposed to be doing this to you, to themselves, or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're like, ah, that's it. And so through very serious thought, Nehemiah comes up with, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be charging usury. And that's interest, if you didn't know what that word means. That's an old term for interest, interest rates. They're not supposed to be doing that for their brethren. It was fine for Gentiles and all. And, but when you loaned out money or when you gave somebody something or when you helped somebody out, your neighbor, you weren't supposed to charge interest as an Israeli citizen to another Israeli citizen. Um, and what, what's happened is because they've, and who knows how it starts, maybe they read it and thought, well, that's not fair and that's not right and that doesn't seem appropriate for whatever. For whatever reason, they discounted this scripture in Leviticus. It's chapter 25, verses 36 through 38. God said, take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God, that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you a land of Canaan and to be your God. From that scripture in Leviticus, God makes it very clear, the land is mine. You are tenants in my land, and for you to charge interest for something I've loaned to you, as long as you're obedient to me, is ridiculous. Don't do it. These are your brethren. Now, he also says in here, it's voluntary whether you help somebody or not. Now, there are certain aspects of the Old Covenant that required people to leave the corners of their field. Certain things were left. But you were by no means obligated to give somebody a mortgage on their home interest-free. That was something you chose to do. And you could choose or not to choose to do that. But if you chose to do that, you weren't allowed to, give, to charge interest on it. You just wanted to help a brother out. Okay? And so that's where they are in this. God says, you can't do that. It's mine. It belongs to me. These are your brethren. Think of it more like, because as a church, as a body of believers, it does apply to us, one to another, you know. 
as a church, um, not as Calvary, but as a church worldwide, we really need to be careful about that. Um, think of it as a family member, for instance. Now, some people don't like to mix business with family, and probably pretty wise. If you're going to charge usury, interest, or if <laughs> you're going to hold them accountable in the sense that if they don't pay me back, I am totally going to repossess whatever it is then yeah, you definitely shouldn't. But if you can come into a family member and say, I'd love to help you out any way I can, and please, yeah, I do. I would like to get paid back. Not in, with interest, but I need to get paid back. But if they didn't, would your relationship with them be broken? And you need to think that through in your head. And if it would be, then you don't loan them the money. Don't give them any help. On the other side of this, we have a responsibility as those who have found ourselves in difficult times or troubles that when we ask for help from family members, you need to pay them back. Absolutely pay them back. You can't pull the family card on them. That's not fair. That's not right. It's not appropriate. You're in the wrong. You're in sin. You need to pay your family members back. Okay? So <laughs> the people that are, oh, man, I got to just let it go. Yeah, don't worry. I'm going to get to the guy who borrowed the money from you. They need to pay you back. Absolutely. And that's sin on their part. But regardless of whether it's sin or not, just like Christ forgave us, we need to forgive them, their debts, as Christ forgave us our debts. Or actually, the prayer goes a different way, doesn't it? God, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. So don't forgive me, God, any more than what I've forgiven them. And that puts us in a funny spot, doesn't it? That makes it real clear. Well, I'm going to be forgiven of all my stuff, and you best get forgiven, you know? Be a forgiving person. They weren't. He gets angry because it's come to the point where we can't eat. We're going to starve to death. And their brethren, who have all their stuff in their hands, hey, not my fault. They just wanted to mortgage their property, have their deeds in their back pocket, and are willing to let their brethren die of starvation in the process, and knowing that they're going to get that when they're dead. That, that, that nullifies that contract. There's no way they're paying you back. You've got their property forever, and they're willing to let them die. And that's not biblical, is what it is. Business-wise, fine. It's true. The bank can absolutely take your home from you. You've made that agreement with them. But when it comes to us as person to person, that's not okay. You'd be very careful about that. I'm very careful about that. I want to be very careful about that. Money just can't have that kind of hold on your heart. Stuff can't have that holding heart. We're all going to be in heaven one day. We sang many songs about that this morning. We think about that. We, our hope rests in that. And we're going to be standing there all together in the same room one day. Oppressed and oppressors. And that's going to be a real awkward time when God's looking at you saying, didn't I forgive you absolutely all of your sins? Do you want me to say them out loud? No. Please don't. See Bob over here? Uncle Bob, Fred Bob, whatever Bob, who he is, son Bob. Remember what you did to him? we got to be careful about that and understand there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a time when we stand there and everything's going to be exposed like that. Be careful. Be careful. Don't get involved if you can't get involved to the point where you can let it go, is the point. Is the point. And so Nehemiah calls him on this. We are in the middle of a crisis. We are surrounded by enemies. Um, 
We need to do whatever we can do right now to build up this nation. We are in a shambles. We are broken down. Our walls are destroyed. We didn't have the gates hung yet. We just finished the temple. This is not a time to be evicting people out of their homes, brethren. We're here. We just left off last week with a sword in one hand and a trial in the other, and everybody's working together, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, well, they're going home to fatted calves, and we're going home to whatever we can find. You know, So he's upset about it, but he gives it serious thought, and he doesn't rebuke them for the act of helping them out, and nor does he excuse those who haven't paid back. He says this, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to nations. Now indeed, Will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Nehemiah has walked by example and said, we came with what we had, and we bought as many people freedom from these oppressing nations around us as we can. Are you not going to do the same for the people around us? Now, I am not so stupid as to think that all the people here that didn't pay back their debts are guiltless. I know for a fact, in any group of people like this, you know there's some guys saying, yeah, yeah, do what Nehemiah says. Give me my stuff for free. I know that. Just like I know that some of these guys that helped out, brethren, probably started off with a good heart and thought, well, I'm not going to charge much. It's, it's only 1% is the interest rate on this. I'm not going to charge them much. I'm going to do it. And over time, there's this animosity that is built up between the borrower and the lender. And it's caused a division here in the country. And Nehemiah's like, I don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. We need to get this division out of here. And he's calling actually for like an automatic jubilee year. If you don't know what that is, we'll go over that in a minute. Everything is to revert back. We need to start at zero here. Regardless of who gets hurt, we're talking about a generational problem, not just a moment or your heartache or your hardship or whatever. We need to get this straightened out kind of thing. He's asking for a year of jubilee, and he's asking them to forgive them. Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Lending. He's still lending. He's still expecting to be paid back. He's just not charging the interest. Keep track of that. And the only reason I bring that up is because a lot of people will look at this and look for the opportunity to take. And that's not what Nehemiah is giving them. I'm not giving you an opportunity to rob me. I'm not giving you an opportunity to take what is mine and keep it for yourself. I'm giving you an opportunity. I will loan it to you, but I would like you to pay it back to me when you are on better footing financially. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. To expect to be paid back is normal and right. And you should be. Please, let us stop this usury. That's all he's concerned with is the interest. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth or 1% of the money and the grain, the new wine, the oil that you have charged them. You need to pay them back at least 1% of that interest you've been taking from them. Give them a start. Not only do you give their money back to them, but I want you to give them enough start money that they can get on their feet again. Because it's, it's snowballed is what's happened in their lives. It's gotten out of hand. 
Now, like I said, it may snowball again through no fault of anybody's but their own. They may start spending more than they have. They may start doing things they shouldn't be doing again, building up debt again. Some people just live in that cycle. And that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about those who are taking advantage of the moment. Here's your fresh start. You need a fresh start. Now, um, there's a, a group, and, and this is important to understand and, and, and is to, to emphasize the point of you don't have to give them money if you don't want to. That's up to you. It's in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The church has just started. Peter is uh, sitting there, and some of the other brethren are sitting there, but Peter seems to be the guy in charge at this time. James is really in charge of the church um, worldwide, but Peter's at this moment in charge of this moment right here. And people have been selling everything they have, and they have been giving it to the apostles, and the apostles have evenly been distributing it out to everybody, kind of doing you know, a, a fresh start for everybody. They thought Jesus was coming back like in a week or two, and, and it didn't work out that way, and all of a sudden everybody gets poor real quick from this. Okay, Regardless, the Holy Spirit is at work here. A certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control or your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. The sin here is not that he didn't give all of it. The sin is that he's lying, pretending like he gave all of it. But actually, he's kept part of it back. I want everybody to think I've sold this land and given it all to everybody. And I just want them to think I'm just this magnanimous uh, philanthropist. I'm just a great guy you know, and gal. But actually, he kept back part of the proceeds. And Peter calls one and says, you know, the land was yours. You didn't have to sell it. I never told you to sell it. If God told you to sell it, then sell it. But I never told you to do it. And when you did sell it, all the money was in your pocket. Nobody told you to give it away. You decided to give it away. That's up to you. Why are you lying to everybody about giving it all when you're not giving it all? And so I, I only say, now these two people die, and the Holy Spirit, literally, you want to talk about slain in the Spirit? They die right here, okay, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, thank goodness he doesn't still do that today, I don't think, anyway. I mean, you know, boy, we, I don't know how many of us would be alive right now if lying to the Holy Spirit was a capital punishment in the church. It is. Makes it quite an example of them. Um, the point of this is your stuff is your stuff. God's blessed you with it. By all means, keep it and make wise decisions as to who you help and who you don't help. It's completely in your control. God's given you, like we learned on Wednesday, the five talents or the two talents or whatever it is. You do what's best, whatever you think is best. Remember, it's God's to begin with. Always keep that in mind. And when you loan it out, it's not yours to exact usury or interest from brothers or sisters in the Lord. Be careful about that. So he calls them on it. And verse 12, they're not happy about it. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Now that's what they say, but we're going to find out later on in the next chapter. They're not happy about it. Then I called the priests and 
required an oath from them, even he doesn't quite believe their words. Really, you do? Great, let's make an oath to God right now. Sure, yeah, let's make an oath that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. So it's a year of jubilee. Everything reverts back. These guys are not happy about this. Some are. Some are patriotic. Some understand. Some got caught up in the moment and forgot, oh, yeah, this is probably really hard for Bob to be working every day and still trying to pay me off when we're trying to build this wall together. We need to free them up to do this. And a lot of these guys are, well, they felt it. And you would. You can almost understand it. If these guys are heavily invested in their brethren, so to, you know, I don't know if that invested is the right word, but if they're, you know, you want me to do what? I want you to give it all back. Mm, that's, a, that's a big deal. And it stung. It did. Um, Matthew chapter 13, verses 27 through 34. We just went over this on Wednesday nights. And the idea here is, if God, through Nehemiah, asked him to do this, then you do it, is the point. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That's God in this story, releasing the servant who couldn't pay his huge, huge debt. Not only did he not require the debt to be paid, he wiped it clean and actually gave this guy a jubilee. A, revert, a reverting back to uh, possessions. Uh, you can Everybody owns their own stuff. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay his debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had been doing or had, what had been done, They were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Yikes. Now, of course, in that story, he's talking about sin. I've forgiven you all of your sins. Why can't you forgive those who have wronged you, around you, you know? But it's interesting how we see this actually playing out in Nehemiah in like real world terms. Not just, uh, of course I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. Well, that's easy to say. But then to do something like this is to really show that, wow, when you grant forgiveness to someone in your life who's sinned against you, it's a big deal. Something's happened in your heart to where I was crushed, I was broken, I was hurt, I was wounded, I was wronged, and yet I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to count it against you as debt. I'm not going to keep track of it. There is no ledger. I'm wiping it clean. It's like this never happened is what forgiveness is. You don't get to bring it up again. You don't get to pull it out, you know, of mothballs in a good argument or whatever. You do that. And it's supposed to be understood by the person receiving the forgiveness how much that costs you. And they're supposed to take, well, inventory 
<laughs> for using today's terms, inventory of themselves. I definitely don't want to do that again, is the idea. Will they? They might. Do you need to leave yourself open for that hurt and wound again? Not necessarily. I think that's one of the things we for, misunderstand about forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is to be granted, but it um, it doesn't mean that I I necessarily have to open myself up for that wound again or the opportunity. Now, Christ did. So it's up to you whether you do or not. But just like it's not these guys' responsibility legally to help these guys out who are in hard times, although spiritually God would have said several times, help a guy out. you know. But legally, there's no obligation for them. Likewise, there's really no obligation for you to open yourself up to be mortgaged again, you know, to get yourself in this position again. And so I take those things to heart, and I put these things together, and I see Nehemiah is actually fleshing out what happens spiritually in our hearts when we forgive people. I want you to let them free. I want you to let them go. This is going to cost me a lot of money. It sure is. It is going to be hard. I understand that. And when Christ looks at us and says, I understand that, that's what he means. I know how bad it hurts. I know because I went to the cross. I know what it costs you to do what you're doing. And yet, I showed you by example what I wanted you to do by doing it for you. I expect you to do the same thing and follow my example. So if anything this morning, whether you're thinking in your mind, oh man, I shouldn't have loaned you know, uh, son-in-law or whoever, uh, this is really convicting. Well, Maybe go with that, whatever God wants to do, but think of this more as a forgiveness example, if anything. If you haven't loaned out and you haven't been convicted by this. And so he calls for a year of Jubilee. I want you to have everything to uh, revert back. And I don't think I wrote that down because it's pretty long. It's in Leviticus chapter 25. I'll let you read it. The idea is every seven years... 49 years, that 50th year, God says in Leviticus 25, I want you to forgive all the debts. Everything reverts back to their original landowners. He didn't want to see all these tribes that were broken up, 12 tribes, had their different lands. He didn't want to see uh, spots of Reuben's tribe in the middle of whoever, you know, uh, Joseph's tribe or, you know, or Naphtali's tribe. And I didn't want, I need that all to revert back to their original owners every 50 years. Okay. So keep that in mind when you decide to help a brother out and you're going to mortgage and help them with that. Know, know this. You got two years till the year of Jubilee and you're going to give it back. So I wouldn't give them any more than two years worth. And they could do that math. They were allowed to do that. I don't have to give them all of it and know that there's a 30 year mortgage on it, knowing I'm going to get paid for 30 years. I'm going back to so reverting back in two years. You're getting a two-year mortgage on your money right here. Okay, so that's the idea. But it all reverts back. It all goes back. And, of course, that's a picture, a spiritual picture of what Christ does for us. Everything is returned, that year of Jubilee. It's a beautiful year. It sang songs about it. They wrote hymns about it. Anyway, verse 14. Moreover, Nehemiah talks about himself a little bit. From the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah... From the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers or brothers ate the governor's provisions. Remember, he was offered that. Everybody was supposed to be able to pay Nehemiah and do everything for him, and he had those letters from King Artaxerxes. He never took them up on that stuff as far as his own household goes. 
But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people, which explains a lot. All these guys that were sent to be in charge and to help and to be a part of it, taking a huge salary from these people who couldn't afford it already. Nehemiah has come back and what a great example of a leader and says, I'm here for the people. I'm here for this project. I'm here for this ministry. I'm not here to take money from them. I'm not here to put them under. I'm not here to line my pocketbooks or my wallet. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. They were so well off, these governors, that even their servants had more money than the people of Israel, the regular folks. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued to work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. I'm not here for taking advantage of people that are in a weakened state. And that's really what this is about. If, if you get worried about, well, I, I loaned out some money. Did you take advantage of someone who was in a tough spot and you knew that you were manipulating and working the system to your advantage? Then you're at fault. Own it, repent of it, and get back and get right with it again. You know, and that's what's happened here. Nehemiah saw that, and now he goes the extra mile. He goes much further. He goes like what Paul does uh, in, uh, let's see, did I even write it down? Oh, it's in the next chapter, which I don't think we're going to get to. I'm going to read it anyway. Let's see if I can find it here and jump ahead. Well, I didn't. Paul says at one point, uh, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 13 maybe. Um, I didn't write it down. Um, but he didn't take any money from anybody because he didn't want anybody to think that he was doing the gospel, sharing the gospel for money. It wasn't a, it wasn't a seminar, you know. Um, later on, he said, there's nothing wrong with, with Peter and myself and the gang taking wives along with us and to take a salary. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul just said, no, we're not going to do that because I, I want it to be different and separate from the people, Corinthians, that come in and charge you exorbitant fees to be your speaker for the evening. You know, and I didn't want to be that guy. And he says, I wanted a distinction so that nobody could look at my ministry and say, that's you did that so that you could gain, that you could be wealthy, you know. And so Nehemiah is a great example of that. I have not come here. Honestly, as a king's cupbearer, he was fine. That's why he shows up with all this money and hasn't had to use any of those letters for the governors. He's doing all right. But he used his all right position to bless those that weren't all right, to make sure that they were okay, to build up their walls, to at least give them the opportunity. Now they're not going to do great, but that's not Nehemiah's fault. I'm here because God sent me, and I've, I'm on an errand here. I'm certainly not going to charge for that. In fact, he's going to carry them. Look what he says here. At my table were 150 Jews and rulers. What that means is this is the guys that showed up for every single meal every single day. Not only was they taking care of my guys, my family, my support, my team, I had 150 of these rulers showing up at my table saying, Nehemiah, it's great to eat dinner. What are we having for supper tonight? You know, kind of thing. Goat, again, okay, sit down, <laughs> you know. Or ox, it looks like. Now, that which was prepared daily was one ox. I don't know how much a whole beef is. You guys know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, wow. 
half a side. That'll last me and my family a year, you know. Side of beef. This is two sides of beef daily. These guys ate a lot. Maybe it was a little ox. I don't know. Six choice sheep. Wow. It's a lot of mutton. Also, fowl were prepared before me, and once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Like that wasn't abundance enough, but there it is. This really did great. He really took care of them. What a gift of hospitality. What a, a minister. What a servant, you know? I love that. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. He considered it a blessing to be able to do this. Didn't even bother him. Doesn't even think about it. But he does write this down. Now this is between him and God. Verse 19, remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. I didn't say that to everybody out loud. I mean, it's written. But really, that is his prayer to God. God, I mean, I just want you to know my heart on this, God. You recognize my heart. You're writing down my heart on this, you know. I don't want to be accused of trying to take advantage. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm above board on purpose so everybody can see this. Whether they learn from it or not, whether they followed his example or not, it's up to them. Every bit of this reminds us of that forgiveness. This physical, visual picture that we see here of what Nehemiah is doing as a leader, fighting oppression, setting people free, calling for a year of jubilee, even when it's not necessarily the time or the date, praying things through, being angry about being, being, people being oppressed. That is normal stuff for the believer. These are things we should look forward to. You mean I get a chance to do what God does for us? And I get to do it for somebody else? What an opportunity. What a blessing that is. And not to look at it as a, you know, I mean, if that's your heart on the matter, then don't do it again. Don't ever loan out any money again. Don't ever put yourself in that position where you're going to have to grumble about a year of Jubilee. You know? It's just a bad example. And so he does. And I wish I could get to chapter 6, but seven minutes, I just don't know that I can. Oh, let's do it. I'll go fast. We'll be done on time. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the uh, doors uh, to the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the, in the plain of Ono. Uh, there's a, okay, no. <laughs> I'm not going to Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Of course they did. Uh, these guys have never been your friend. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Good discernment, we call that. You know, good heads up. Yeah, no, I'm not going to come. Don't have time for that. Doing a great work. Thank you for your support. It's not what they want to do. But they sent this message to me four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Uh, No, 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 you know. Then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now, an open letter is done on purpose. You ever see an open letter in the Wall Street Journal or an open letter in the newspaper? Have you ever read those? They're never complimentary. They're always accusatory. They're always to air laundry or to get something out in the open um, so that everybody knows about it, which is what's happening here. It is reported among the nations... Straw man argument, by the way. Somebody told me. It's, it's been said. Uh, and Geshem says, 
that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, he's already acknowledging the fact they're just rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. Show up at Ono, or we're going to tell the king that you're going to rebel. And anytime someone does this to you like this, when they pro- they're projecting. I don't know if you know what that means. I don't know if you've used that. It's a, it happens a lot in our political system right now. When they begin to accuse the other side, you can bet the other side's doing it. Is the idea, which is exactly what Nehemiah is going to come up against. These guys are going to hire prophets to speak against Nehemiah. Nehemiah isn't hiring any prophets. He's not trying to gain advantage. They're doing it. They're lying. They're fabricating the information. They're spreading the rumors. Nobody's doing this. He's just trying to threaten him with words. Then I said to him, no such thing as you, are being, as you say are being done. But you invent them in your own heart. I don't know if that's going to work or not. Usually doesn't, does it? You're making that up. Nobody's going to believe you. Well, someone always believes them. Nehemiah is going to trust in God to protect his reputation. And it's going to work. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Always trust in God. You can try to defend your reputation. You can do what you can do to try to squash rumors. But usually the best thing to do is to let God be your protector and to be your guard. I trust my reputation to God. Everybody will say everything about you. You'll never, uh, uh, what, what did Don, Donald Rumsfeld, it has a really good quote. He goes, you can try to please somebody all the, you can try to please everybody all the time, but somebody will be mad. It's, it's funny the way he says, very clever. Um, even if you did please everybody, somebody would be mad about you pleasing everybody. He's just really smart, smart guy. Anyway, uh, that's what's going to happen. And so you have to trust God with your reputation. You have to let that sit in his hands. So God strengthened my hands. And that is the the most important characteristic Nehemiah has is right there, I think. When everybody's telling you to stop, the threats are coming, you look down and you put your head down like a bull and say, I am charging harder than I've ever charged before. Because if I'm running up against this opposition, I think knowing who's against you and your enemies tells you everything you need to know about your character. When I've got all these people against me and hating me, I can be sure, whether I know it or not, that I'm on the right side of things. Because if you hate me, uh, that's, your, that's my best advertisement. Sometimes you'll get that threat in businesses, you know? Well, I'm going to post on Yelp. Oh, please do. Because everybody knows you, whether you know it or not, and your character is already known. So if you tell everybody that my place is horrible, they'll come in droves because they know who you are. You know, You're my best advertisement. I love this, Nehemiah. Afterward, I came to the house of uh, Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of uh, Mehetabal, um, who was, big surprise, a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us, I have to do the voice. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors to the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. You know, very dramatic. Nehemiah, come with me. I'll, I'll protect you in the house of God. Let us go now. Let us go to the house of God and close the doors. And Nehemiah is not that guy. Can you see him going, really? You know? He'd be the guy standing out front saying, where are they? You know, I'm looking for them. And that's exactly what he says. 
And I said, should, I, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. You want me to run from this threat? No, 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 no. You don't know me very well. Then I perceived. Now, I wrote that down. I underlined that because he said what he said in verse 11 before verse 12. He didn't have discernment. He had discernment after he told them, absolutely not. His character protected him. And afterwards, God said that was the right answer. That's when he got the confirmation. Nehemiah says, I have not come here to hide. I have not come here to succumb to threats or verbal assaults or letters or whatever it is they're bringing at me now. I'm here to do a mission. I'm here to do a job, and I'm going to do it. And if you think your words are going to change my mind, you've got another thing coming. And later on, he says, oh, and that was the right thing to say. I like that. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because of, or because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him, exactly what he told, or they told Nehemiah that he was doing. For this reason, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. What's the sin? The sin is being a coward. Did you know that's a sin? Some people just think, well, I'm just not like that. I'm just, I'm just kind of, it's a sin as a Christian to be a coward. We're called on that. Book of Revelation puts that in the list of people and their characteristics. In the last days, there's going to be cowardice. We can't have it. And that's why I like reading about these guys, because it encourages us, because we are told night and day that we have something toxic in us that causes us to be so bullheaded, so strong, so unwavering, so immovable. You mean like a rock? Yeah, you're too rocky. Well, we're called to that as Christians, to be the rock, to stand upon the rock and to be a rock in people's lives. Why are you so steadfast? I mean, one of the qualifications of the elders of the church are to be, they're temperate. They're, they're even. It'll fluctuate. Something horrible's happening. I yeah, know. What the deal with that? Something great's happening. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I mean, it's just even. They're not emotional roller coasters that don't know whether they're saved or unsaved. They don't know whether they're right or whether they're wrong. They're even. So important to be even. And that went a little long. He says this My God, remember Tobiah and Sam Bellot according to these, their works, and the prophetess, female prophet, uh, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets, those would be the males who would have made me afraid. So a lot of guys were hired to talk to him. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul uh, in in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Mm, The testimony. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah... These are the guys that were just told to have a year jubilee. I promised I'd get to this. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and letters of Tobiah came to them. They were in constant communication with the enemy, these nobles. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehonah, whatever, had married the daughters or the daughter of Meshulam and the son of uh, Berchiah, I think, Berchiah, whatever. 
Also, they reported his good deeds before me. You know what that sounded like? Oh, man. Nehemiah, you got Tobiah all wrong. Tobiah's not like that. Neither Sam Ballot. They're just a little upset. You need to, look, here's what they've done for us, talking them up. And Nehemiah's like, the very fact that you're talking about these guys in a favorable light tells me all I need to know about your character. You know, People reveal their hearts whether they know it or not. And these guys are. And they reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. All right, let's close. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for Nehemiah, his heart, his um, dedication to you, his love for you. Um, all that he's doing here is out of a love for you and a love for the people that you love. Um, so thank you for his servant's heart. Thank you for his, um, for his toughness. Thank you for his tenderness also, as we're going to see here in chapter 8, next week, 7 and 8, um, as he loves your word. And he's bound to it, and he's bound himself to it on purpose. And that he knows that that is what they need to hear, and that that is what the people are going to feel and know, and it's going to change them from the inside out. So I appreciate him. And all sorts of, all of his characteristics, Lord, such a great example for us. Help us to be like you as he's like you. As we watch him act like you on this earth, Lord, help us to imitate him as he imitates you, just like Paul was able to say that. And I pray that people will be able to do that for us, that they be able to watch us imitate you on this earth and be blessed by it, God, and not threatened, but enjoy that stubbornness and that stick to and that, uh, that rock that we are because we stand upon the rock. But we're a house that's not going to be blown down. So help us to build carefully, and to be obedient to you, God, and to stick to what you've called us to do no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful 4th of July.